as I was home teleworking uh, last week, and now I'm kind of in a mix, um, I found myself that I wasn't being as productive as I wanted. And I also would look down and find that I, even though I was working, I still had my pajama bottoms on. And it was actually my <laughs> son who uh, a while back had said, he was reading a book called uh, College Hacks. And uh, one of the ones was uh, that if you put on a pair of tennis shoes, how much more productive you'll be. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, it's Michelle, and today we have a little bit of a different format for the show. I'm jumping right in with my friend Chris Conley, who served as is a former Coast Guard officer and helicopter pilot of over 25 years. He conducted rescue and law enforcement operations from the Caribbean to Kodiak, Alaska in Southern California. He led the Department of Defense effort for security and law enforcement development in Africa, managed $60 million in funds and directed 52 projects to equip and train African partners to enhance regional security and governance. Chris also is a National Security Fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institution. When did you graduate that, Chris? That was in 2016. Okay, has a Master's of Arts in National Security and Strategic Studies from the Naval War College. Goodness, you have such credentials here. I've known you. So I should say I've known Chris for 25 years. This is so fun for me to know your background more. Uh, Master of Science, Instructional <laughs> Systems Design, University of South, South Alabama. And you got your Bachelor of Science in the U.S. Coast Guard Academy. Now, in addition, you were stationed in Mobile, Alabama when Hurricane Katrina struck and conducted helicopter rescues after the storm passed and your crew saved 144 people. And we're going to get into some more operations that you did and lives that were saved. Now, the reason I invited Chris on was we were just chatting the other day and he was sharing some of the strategies from being in the military that's been serving him while working from home and trying to get his two boys, you know, focused. And I was like, oh, you know, this is really interesting and it might actually help other people. I know that Admiral McRaven had done a, not a TED talk, it turned into one, I think, but it was a commencement speech, which got people making their beds. It became a New York Times bestseller, and I'll link that in the show notes. And I thought there is so much we can be learning from the discipline that anyone in the military has had to focus on uh, and how to apply that maybe to our, our lives now, because structure is critical right now for peace of mind. So welcome to the show, Chris. I'm so happy you're here today. Well, thanks, Michelle. It's great to talk to you and I appreciate the introduction. It, uh, as we were talking about uh, earlier, this is really stemmed from the coronavirus and all of the stay-at-home orders that are going in around the country. And even it must have been a couple of weeks ago when a lot of this first started 
taking shape that I just remember sitting around the, the kitchen with, with my, uh, my wife and the boys. And we just had this stunned. There was just that we were stunned at, at the situation and, uh, and the boys kind of in, initially became frustrated by the, the lack of or perceived lack of control over all the plans that they had made and expectations that they had, had built. Mm. So as we, so as, as I was, and as I was wrestling with this myself, uh, going back and forth between whether or not I was going to be able to continue working or work from home and, and that sort of, that sort of thing, I started thinking to some of the situations I'd had in my Coast Guard career that I thought might apply. And, and two in particular came to mind. One was preparing for and going on deployments, uh, first as, as a young officer on ships and then later as a, as a helicopter pilot. And there, are, there really are a lot of similarities to some of the challenges we're dealing with now and with the uh, coronavirus that, that apply to those deployments. And the other situation was uh, some of the survival training in particular that I underwent when I was in Kodiak, Alaska, as a helicopter pilot, we did some Arctic and the cold weather survival training and they, they use them a method of seven steps. So we'll get into the, the strategies, but I'd love people to know your story a little bit more. Tell us where you have lived because when you're in the coast guard, you had, you've had to pick up and move like every two years. I, I don't remember you staying any place longer than maybe three or four years you know, you're married to a great person. Don is amazing and you've got a beautiful family and it can't be easy though, having to uproot all the time. So tell us about where you have lived. Sure. Well, and I just, uh, just to echo that the, uh, we've been married for becoming up on 16 years here in May and, uh, and, in those 16 years, and we've been here now settled in retirement for a couple of years, but in those 16 years, I think we moved seven different times. Mm. I just, that was just with, uh, with Don and, and the boys uh, who came a little bit later, obviously, but that, that is the, the kind of works or the kind of, of life that the military leads. And in, in a sense, it's similar again to this, because there really is, when you get your orders, that's just where you go. There is not much control over uh, as much control as we often like over the situation. So I have been stationed in California and Florida a couple times. Uh, Mobile, Alabama, that was the longest uh, tour that we had. That was four years as an instructor pilot there. Uh, we were in Newport, Rhode Island for a short time, Colorado Springs, uh, San Diego and Los Angeles. And then uh, I was up at Palo Alto away from the family for a year. And we finished up actually in Germany of all places. And that's, as you talked about, some of the work I did that in Africa, that was when, where that work took place. Right. So you were based in Germany, but your region, your territory that you were focused on was Africa. That's correct. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So you've had quite a lot of experiences. And as you, you shared, your family has been along for at least for 16 years when you started your family, or at least Dawn, your wife has been uh, along for the ride for all of it. And you said something that's critical. I think a lot of the, there's, the brain does not, the mind does not like uncertainty and everything right now is so uncertain. And so you talked about, you know, 
there's a lack of control when you're you're assigned where you're going to live. You don't have a choice. You may be able to put in your top three choices, but you may not get any of those. Isn't that true? Uh, that's that's right. And and it, it's interesting. And and this this happens with assignments. And if you, you if you talk to people, uh, other people in the military, in your mind before you know exactly where you're headed, you have an idea of something that you'd like, and then regardless of whether you get the answer from the assignment officer that you want, as soon as you know, and you have certainty, you immediately start mentally adjusting to that and planning for it. And I've had it happen before where we thought we were headed one place and you start to mentally prepare and it was, it was not on the top of our list. And then maybe a few weeks later, I got the call that we were getting something at the very top of our list. Mm -hmm. And even with that, this is just to show you how the mind works. There was a, just a, a little bit of disappointment because I had already mentally made the adjustment and was looking forward to, and had found ways to find good things about the place that we were heading. And so when I found out we were going to our number one choice, which was uh, San Diego in this case, mm. uh, there was just a, a little bit of disappointment. Didn't last very long, but it, it's that to shift the mind is really hard in that scenario, even when you're going from someplace you didn't think you wanted to go to a place that you absolutely wanted to go. And I'm a California native, so there's there's a lot of family and roots there that uh, made that a great choice for us. Totally. And, you know, I remember when you were stationed in Kodiak, Alaska, and I remember you telling me about a training you had to go through, and it sounded like... I don't know that many people could survive that. Could you talk about, was that when you were in Kodiak where you had to go for, I forget, like three weeks, like live with like very little food? I don't know. It was like they put you some through some hardcore training to make sure you could really survive like a they huge did. disaster. Fortunately, it wasn't, yeah. fortunately, it wasn't quite three weeks. Okay. Uh, my but, mind. Okay. And, and this how is where we it? did. No, no, that's okay. I probably made it sound like that. That's how, <laughs> that's how it felt. So it's probably on my description where that uh, falls apart, but no, it was a short time, but it was really impactful. Okay. How many uh, days because, was it? And what did you have to do? Cause I remember. Okay. It, I would, it was, uh, I think it was three days, two nights. Okay. So I took and, three days and, and in my mind, we I went and, <laughs> but we, we went in and we had, there was, uh, no food and no shelter. We were allowed to have basically what we would have in a, uh, in a helicopter if we had had to uh, land land in an emergency situation somewhere and be on our own without anything except what we had on our person and what was in the helicopter. And unfortunately there was some equipment there, but it really was made to focus you on these seven steps. And I, I think that uh, why it was impactful was because you go the, the first day without, without food and which Granted, you know, every, that, that means different things to different people, but at maybe 26, 28 years old, uh, I was, that was really important to me personally. Mm-hmm. And so that, and then the, the, the other focus was that you'd think that in a survival situation, the first thing you'd want to do was, was, you know, build a fire and, and who wouldn't, this was December in Kodiak, Alaska. Mm-hmm. And that was not one of the steps. So we didn't get to build a fire. I thought it would be somewhere in the process and, uh, and it wasn't the, the, you know, the first step is recognition. 
And that's really acknowledging. And of course, we had planned for this, but I think there are situations where not recognizing you're in a survival situation or like, let's say this, as most of us are adjusting to a new reality with the restrictions from the coronavirus, that that recognizing that you're that you're in a situ in a survival situation in that case in a different situation in this case really helps to focus the mind and causes you to take inventory of what are the things you need to do to get through this period and i say that because if you don't if you delay in recognizing in a survival situation it could mean when nightfall comes you're not prepared and you risk in this case you know freezing to death or um, or getting severe hypothermia. In other situations, it really detracts from your ability to focus and action. So that recognition piece being really important as, as one thing I'll emphasize. And, and that's kind of what it occurred to me when I was watching, when I was trying to think of a way to, to approach this new scenario we're in from the coronavirus. The, the second thing, like I said, is I thought at some point there would be a fire involved and, you know, some place to warm yourself, something to do. But that really wasn't one of the one of the key things because it's not necessary and it just really focuses you in the, in the wrong direction. And and I'll say that most people would think of this, I think, in a survival situation is it causes it ends up taking effort that you really need to put elsewhere. And the other thing is, once you have that fire built, now you are required to maintain it and it keeps you from doing other things. So. Um, I guess the, uh, that first day was one of trying to just build a shelter and get through the first night without any, uh, without any of the benefits of food or warmth, really. Wow. And in December in Kodiak, how many hours of daylight did you have? Oh, good question. So that, and that's that's a good point. There was probably, oh, seven hours of daylight. I would think about that time of year. Mm -hmm. Seven, seven or eight, or maybe six, six to seven hours of daylight. So there was some, but uh, it ama- it's amazing when you don't have the the comforts of home. How long a an evening will seem when mm. the sun goes down at four or five in the afternoon, and it's not coming up until eight or nine the next morning. Wow! And how many guys were with you? And I'm assuming it was all guys, but so, maybe it wasn't. No, we had to, we had a we had a mix, and uh, just because the Coast Guard's very. Um, is uh, lots of lots of men and women in the Coast Guard mm-hmm. and uh, at the aviation units in particular. But uh, we had a mix, and I think we had a team. Maybe we had thirty all together, and we were probably broken into teams of ten, I think, or something like mm-hmm. that. Okay. And so you said that you were given seven survival strategies. Is that before you were set out on this? these three days is that right they were given right we did take some we we took some classroom training and and this was the method that that they'd adopted obviously there's a lot of different ways to go through and i'm sure that there are survival experts out there who might argue you know the merits of of any one particular system but ours were were the seven and i said i i I really remember the first i remember this i remember the last one and that there was no uh, that there was no fire involved so let's get into this. So, so the first one was recognition. Right. Okay. And then the second one that is, uh, was, if I remember right, was inventory and first aid assessment, right? So that's mm-hmm. that initial triage of, okay, what is, what is the, 
health and safety of everybody and, and what is everything that we have wow. to help us through this. Well, and that of course makes me think of people just like stockpiling on everything right now. Cause when you're uncertain, right. right and, and maybe, right. you know, people are, are aren't, sh- they're recognizing we're in something new, a new normal that doesn't feel normal, but there's no way to assess how long it's going to be and what the impact is going to be on families and communities. So I think part of it is, is common sense to stock up because we're being told to do it. And then part of it is fear. And then the extreme versions of that, that we're seeing. Right. I, I would think so. And I, that, that might be instinctive. And of course there's a little bit of, uh, I think we probably have a little bit of herd mentality (laughs) going on as well. Well, if everything's, if this is flying off the shelves then I probably need some, whether we've actually thought about (laughs) what we need or how much of it uh, we need ourselves. And, you know, as I talk about survival in this, I just do want to emphasize that I know that there, and I have friends whose parents, uh, have this virus and they're literally struggling for their lives. So it's not really to discount. This is a way of looking at it for those of us who are hopefully are not dramatically affected um, directly by it with an actual, uh, we're trying to survive a disease. Um, but right. So I just, I did want to bring that up. I did want to bring that up. No, I'm so glad you did. This is about, you know, maybe what parallels can be made or what strategies could you could take from survival training and what you had to do and, you know, apply them. But I'm so sorry to hear that you have friends, parents who are, are they, they're on ventilators right now, Chris? Uh, you know, I've got, uh, one that is in, uh, uh, who's, who's friends, a dear friend. And I know his father from uh, my time at the Academy, who is, uh, he's in hospice right now. So um, it's not even, uh, not even sure how that will work out. Is it for but our prayers are with them and, it is, yep. Oh man! And can anyone go so, see him right now? I, there, well, there's. I think there's limited contact, and he's at his home. Um, and my friend was telling me that he's he's right now set up in in their favorite room in the house, and and uh, that they can be nearby, but there's not uh, not contact, to my understanding. That's part of the part of this that seems so um, just not human. It's like we we are you know, touch and hugs and contact and being close. I think that's partially what's driving a lot of pain, sadness, fear, anxiety is, um, you know, there's a woman that I interviewed on my podcast who wrote a book of poetry and the woman that took the photographs for the book, they had partnered on it, is pregnant in the hospital with twins. And she's, mm-hmm. she's she went to go get checked out because something wasn't right, I guess. And they've kept her. So she's not due to deliver for another month. And she still, as it is, has to deliver at 34 weeks. So it's their first baby. Oh, wow. So they're twins and her husband can't, nobody can see her. Nobody can visit her. And I think to myself, you need that, you need that physical contact. You need that love. You need that. That's what we, we're human. That's what we thrive on, right? That's just like that, that closeness. And so I think that's really partially what's, like I said, so scary about this, but let's, let's go back to, um, what you were saying. So of the seven steps, the first one, the recognition, how did you apply that in your home? What did you talk to your family about when you sat around the table a couple of weeks ago? You know, I, I think it wasn't so much, I think it was more for me actually, because I, 
at least initially. And then we did talk about kind of what we're talking about now, but initially it was, like I said, we were all just a bit stunned when we got the notice that the kids weren't going back to school on Monday and that, you know, all these other things that we had been looking forward to were canceled and uncertainty with uh, both Don's work and, and my work uh, that have, you know, both been impacted and had to adjust from this in different ways. So I, I think it was a lot of that was just for me. And then the follow on was okay. Everybody we're in this spot. How, what are some things we can do that, to, that will make it better? Yeah. And so what's, what's number seven from the survival training? So number seven from the survival training was fun. And again, I remember it oh, probably fun. because it was last, yeah. but also because I found it, I found it odd. <laughs> and, and, you know, as we did the part of the classroom training and they were interviewing people who'd been literally through, you know, real life, sur- you know, survival situations, and one of the things that this is something that came up, and I think you see it in other places as well, if you look. But one of the things that came up was that they found a way to play games or something as simple as when, you know, having a discussion about, well, when we get back, we're going to, you know, I want to have pizza or I want to have this particular meal. And it's, <laughs> this is the things I want on my pizza. And, and to go through that. Mm-hmm. And I think... I think it resonated with me because a couple things is that, that, that distraction is important. Uh, if you get a chance, usually if you're completely by yourself and you still need to find ways to, to entertain yourself, but in, in that case, you can imagine or visualize things. But I, I just remember thinking it really does have to do with that. Keeping being distracted, having, finding some way to, to have enjoyment. And then, but, but finally, also, just to help, I really think it helps with that will to live and that will to survive. And uh, undoubtedly, these folks have gone through some very challenging uh, situations. So that, I think it really contributes to that. That will to live, that, that last piece is important. It's, it's last because you have to do the other things first to survive. But then to keep surviving, I think having that fun incorporated is really important. Yeah. And how are you doing that in your family? What are you guys doing at home? So we were watching movies together like everybody else in yeah. some ways. So yeah. that's part of it, which is frankly something we don't do typically because we stay really busy. Uh, yeah. But other things that we've done, I've, uh, and the boys had the boys like different things, but we've done uh, playing ping pong together, just taking time to play games, taking time out to play games, uh, football and soccer. Uh, I've got one that really likes to play poker. So we've been playing poker mm. and they're, they're just different things that, that you can do. And uh, granted there are, even within our own family, though we're in a confined space, uh, there are probably health things health wise that we need to be careful of which, which things we pick. can't do everything you'd want, but, but just having that, uh, those, those distractions or those, those, that time outside has, has really been a, uh, good for us and something that we don't always make time for when we're in our regular daily lives. Mm. Absolutely. And I think, you know, with the hard situation that we're all in and um, all the challenges that it's bringing and, you know, there's the, the time together 
So, you know, trying to look for some of the beauty that comes out of these hard times, I think is key. Um, Chris, what other experiences did you have or any other things that had come to mind to you, you know, based on all your various deployments and things that you've done that maybe also apply to the scenario that we're in today? Right. And, you know, I think the one, and it especially occurred when I was younger, I was actually assigned to a, a ship for a couple of years and in getting ready for deployments and then going on those deployments and those Coast Guard ships. So I know it's not the what some of the, the, the Navy uh, folks or Army, the soldiers are used to with the length of their deployments, but, but all the same, when you're going to go away for a few months and up to Alaska to do boarding on fisheries or search and rescue type work, the, the mental aspect of both preparing. And in this case, we didn't get a chance to prepare. So that's where the kind of the two survival and then deployment scenarios kind of mix mm. a little bit, but the preparing, but then one of the things about, I would say about the ship is, I mean, it's, it's similar in the sense that you're confined, you're isolated. And this was a while ago because, you know, so there was no email cell phones, internet uh, communication. So you, when you got underway, you really were isolated wow. and, and you actually literally would write physical letters <laughs> and wow. then maybe get a response toward the end of your deployment if you wanted to communicate with anybody. But so, so it was the isolation uh, was, was, is similar. And then the, the, the last thing I'll talk about is the uncertainty of when does that deployment actually end? You always had a scheduled date, but, the, the amount of time that you actually pulled back into port, your home port on schedule uh, was far underrepresented compared to how many times you were delayed. And it never seemed like you ever came home early. So, mm. so those three things, the, the isolation, the lack of communication, and the, um, the uncertainty really all kind of blend together. And they're in a lot of ways, some of the things that we're having to deal with now. So some of the, the things that I would do, and then now I'm looking at, I've already started doing again, was, uh, you know, as I would go on deployment, I would, you're usually, you're a captive audience to yourself, right? So there's plenty to do with the work, but you also had an opportunity to set some goals. So I would always go on deployment with some, some goals for fitness to, uh, work out a certain number of times. And I know not everybody has the ability to can't go to the gym anymore and you can't do these other things, but if you can work on, on a ship, you, you can pretty much work out anyways. And these were not big ships. They're rather small and they would uh, roll and pitch with the ocean. So the, you know, right, riding on a stationary bike or even just doing sit-ups in your room or push-ups was, was sometimes all that you could, all that you could manage. And then another, the other piece is, is really the uh, the uncertain dealing with the uncertainty piece. And uh, I think in terms of that, and that's something that this loss of control that I'm kind of helping the boys work through. I remember when I was younger, and you'd get that first, hey, you're going to be extended through Thanksgiving, or or you're going to have to the your replacement's not going to be here. You're going to have to stay out for another month or whatever that that was really frustrating at first and whether it was a matter of, of just being broken down or, or developing some resilience over time when you started to expect that to be the case, that things were not going to go as planned. It really, it really helped uh, manage your expectations and manage your emotions over that, 
extension when it inevitably came. So I think those are a couple of things. Um, something, and you mentioned uh, Admiral McRaven earlier mm-hmm. uh, with the, with the making your make make your bed part, and it was actually my as I was home teleworking uh, last week, and now I'm kind of in a mix. Um, I found myself that I wasn't being as productive as I wanted. And I also would look down and find that I, even though I was working, I still had my pajama bottoms on. And it was actually my <laughs> son who a uh, while back had said he was reading a book called uh, College Hacks. And uh, one of the ones was uh, that if you put on a pair of tennis shoes, how much more productive you'll be. <laughs> just just the act of putting on the shoes. And mm-hmm. I, I was kind of reminded of that. And that as, as, as I was first suggesting to this, I said, you know, you need to set your alarm to wake up in the morning. This is for me personally, like set your alarm and wake up, Yeah. you know, go through your normal routine and you will, and you'll get so much more done. And and speaking of goals and that sort of thing, like you'd set on deployments, this is a great chance to one of the silver linings at least could be that you could develop a new habit or at least over the next month, six weeks, eight weeks, however much longer this lasts, you could really, position yourself to be that when we are able to relax all the restrictions that you're in a, in a good spot, you know, physically and mentally and uh, emotionally with how, how you can approach things. And there are certain things we can do now to do that, but getting a routine and, and that was certainly important on deployments, having a routine and, and sticking to it with, you know, with the normal schedule is so important because we will, we will lose time if uh, if we don't do that, I think. It's so true. Yes, and we will, because time will just go. <laughs> so It does. It just kind of evaporates. It totally does. Sometimes I'm like, oh my goodness, another day. Where, where did the time go? Um, even though we're home all day long. Um, I think that's so true. And actually, once we got my daughter on her schedule, I have been overlaying my schedule so that I know that, you know, when her lunch break comes, we can be together. And then she's got PE time. That's again, becomes like a dedicated break for me too. But then I've also slotted in time for me to walk by myself. We're fortunate where we are that there's, you know, it's not too congested of an area. So I can go and not see anyone or if I do, everyone's keeping their distance. Um, But I think that alone time, I don't know if your wife is doing this um, or if you're doing this where, you're getting that mental peace of mind and just a moment to catch your own breath and just kind of just recheck in with yourself. And I've also been making sure to meditate in the morning, which has also been really nice. Oh, that's um, really good. Yeah, it's really grounding. And sometimes I do a longer one or sometimes I do a shorter one, depending on the day. Um, but what about um, the benefits of physical activity? I mean, I'm sure that was a big part of your routine. It was, I mean, and it continues now as, as, uh, as, as we go through this, but it was a big part of the routine just because, especially again, if I go back to that, that confinement of a ship that if you did not find a way to exercise over three months, and again, at, at that age, 22 years old, 23 years old, you, you could be a different person when you come back, especially if you decided to eat all the meals. So <laughs> it was, uh. It was, there was, there was that aspect of, and again, looking at this, where, where do I want to be in two months? What do I want to be prepared for? Yes. So that when things go back, I can do all these other things that I really am looking forward to. Um, 
that's one aspect of it. And then I just think that the mental health aspect of, yes. of, you know, physical exercise. And I think we probably all need that now. And it's, it's nice to see, I'm sure everybody's seeing it all over the country is that I have seen more people out walking in our neighborhood than ever before mm. any time of year. <laughs> I mean, it just, and we're lucky our a couple blocks over there's a, a big running trails and park mm. and, uh, kind of giant open space and it is really and people like you said people are being respectful and i think keeping their distance for the most part you know keeping their their social distancing Mm -hmm. as they're doing it but it is amazing how much more it is than normal and i think again silver lining here maybe this is something that persists as things turn back to normal which i think would be good for all of us Mm -hmm. yeah i think we will emerge different um, a new appreciation for so many things that we take for granted. And like you said, probably implementing some of these new routines that we're putting into our lives and making them part of our new normal when we're on the other side of this. But um, this is so good, Chris. And um, just, can you just tell people, so you flew, so you started off on the ship with the deployments, but then you flew, can you explain what role you had? And then at the end you were a commander, sure, but sure. just so people have a context of, your role within the Coast Guard. You bet. So I mean, I was I was really fortunate just to have a blessed and exciting career, and it started off on like I said on sh- on ships, and went to uh, Navy Flight School in Pensacola. Where leaving there, I was I learned to fly helicopters, and then so as a as a young officer and, and new pilot, you just go through the regular progression from co-pilot to an aircraft commander, and then I was fortunate to be asked to be an instructor. And that was something I really enjoyed. And then just as you go throughout your career, more responsibility. And I think by the time I'd done a couple staff tours and some extra uh, on degrees, I had the, the chance to go to San Diego where I was operations chief there and then commanding officer in Los Angeles, which was just a, a great, a great tour. And then finished up as a uh, as a captain in the Coast Guard, uh, working in Germany and helping our partners in Africa. So that was that was the career. And, and throughout that most of that time, I did have an opportunity to fly, which which I loved. And uh, great people, great teams that uh, that we worked with, just true professionals in, in the Coast Guard organization. Thank you. And I mean, as your friend, but then after seeing your bio too, with all the lives saved here, with the Hurricane Katrina with saving 144 people. And then it says as chief of operations, um, you led some, uh, let's see, manage risk and dynamic environments to meet critical needs for rescue and law enforcement. 1,298 operations that saved 3,476 people at sea. I can only imagine the kinds of stuff that you witnessed, but most of us, aren't saving lives. And so I thank you for the service that you did. And, and obviously I have such deep appreciation for everyone right now in the medical community who are on the front lines here and who save lives. Absolutely. I mean, I just have so much admiration and respect and gratitude, and it makes me a little bit emotional right now to think about it. Um, And I think we all just have to, you know, we're doing our part. And part of that is, gratitude and appreciation for what we have, especially if those that we love are well. Um, so is there anything I didn't ask you though, that you want to mention today before we 
Well, you know what? For, well, first, thank you for thank you for that. Um, and I'll just to reiterate is is so so important is that if the those professionals on the front lines and for, for us it was the Coast Guard. For me, it was those uh, those crews. As I got more senior, so when you talk about numbers, you know, like that, as I got more senior, I was more the the operation running the operations, you know, from from my phone or from my office. And there was other people out there who were risking their lives. Uh, but I also had the opportunity to do that when I was younger and obviously uh, I just enjoyed being part of that team. And it was really a team effort. Um, secondly, I just want to reiterate what you said about not only the, the healthcare workers and the first responders, but I think we're really developing a new appreciation for, um, for how essential uh, so, some of, some of those industries and people that we didn't recognize, like the person who's stocking the grocery shelves. And um, like I said, because of the type of work I do, I'm asked to come into work sometimes and, and uh, during this period. And, uh, you know, I just, I was passing the cleaning person who does the cleaning in the hall and just said, thank you. Right. Because that work is, is, is really keeping us all safe. And, and so I, I agree with you. And, and also just, it's it's nice to to recognize that uh, that there are a lot of a lot of people out there that we probably took for granted, frankly, and and now are realizing just how important they are, and uh, and so this is this is having that benefit as well. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I haven't been to a market in probably ten days now, but the last few times, you know, before everything was really like shutting down so much, and you realize, okay you know, essentials only. Um, I would just think everybody in the market working. Thank you. Thank you. Because you just look at the empty shelves and think how much added work there is now for what they're doing. It's not just replenishing right. a few items. It's literally restocking every night. I can't even imagine how much work. Um, oh. And also that they have to be there. Um, and so, right. so much gratitude. I think we can't underestimate the impact sure. that those two words have for others. Absolutely. And, and now more than ever, I think. Yeah. I think um, there's always, like I said, the beauty that comes out of the dark, but we've got a little ways away, I think, from what we're hearing of, of how much longer this will be. So um, we want everyone to stay well. I hope that Chris's survival training and, you know, the idea of recognition and fun, those even just those two simple steps somehow uh, help as well as him sharing the stories and, you know, this idea of routine and really getting up and um, having that structure, as much structure and control that where you can is so essential right now. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Chris. It's no, always fun you talking to me. you. <laughs> yeah, no, this is fun. And, and I um, appreciate you as a friend and also, uh, like I said, for all the service that um, you've given this country. And thanks so much for for taking the time today. This is Michelle Lamoureux, and you've been listening to the Good Life Coach Podcast. So I want to let you know that I have a free gift for you if you're interested. I've been thinking of how uncertain things are and wanted to do something a little extra and want to give you a copy of my book. It's called Design a Life You Love, 
a woman's guide to living a happier and more fulfilled life. And I usually sell it on Amazon for $10, but you can download for the month of April, a free copy. It covers life, love, work, body, relationships, and simplicity. And the intention behind it is to help you live your life with greater purpose and clarity, make loving yourself and your body a priority, have a career and relationships that you love, and incorporate simple pleasures for greater joy. So that's what the book covers. There's a lot of great exercises with each inspiration, and I hope that you find it helpful. Again, you can find it over at thegoodlifecoach.com. You'll see the sign up right on the homepage and you can get your copy today. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend and to subscribe now on Apple Podcasts so you don't miss an episode. While you're there, please take a second to review the show so I know what's resonating with you. It means the world to me to know that you've taken a minute to share your feedback and I read every review that's posted. So thanks as always for tuning in. If you want additional inspiration and tips, come on over and visit me on Instagram. You can find me at Michelle with one L underscore Lamoureux. Thanks so much. And I'll look forward to reconnecting with you soon. Bye for now.